We are in the middle of the book of Jonah, and we left Jonah in the belly of the whale. And I'm going to read all 10 verses of the chapter 2. There's only three chapters left in the book of Jonah. It is very, very quick book, as I've been telling you from the very beginning when we started the Minor Prophets. If you snooze, you lose. It's very quick to be able to go through these small books in the Bible. But aren't they powerful, right? In fact, that's where we find out where Jonah's at. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And then Jonah prayed to Yahweh his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I, I called out of my distress to Yahweh, and he answered me. I cried for help from the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you to cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current surrounded me, all your breakers and waves passed over me. So I said, I have been driven away from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to my very soul. The great deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the base of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever, but you have brought up my life from the pit, O Yahweh my God. While my soul was fainting within me, I remembered Yahweh and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake your loving kindness, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay Salvation belongs to Yahweh. And then Yahweh spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry uh, land. And so, Father, as we approach this amazing uh, book of Jonah, don't let it just be another Sunday school story. Lord, help us to really see your heart through the life of Jonah, your heart for a nation that is on the way to destruction, your heart, even for those that were on the boat, your heart, even for Jonah, the wayward prophet, the prophet that didn't want to go. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us tonight, hold your word as a mirror to our hearts, our attitudes, our thoughts tonight, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much for each and every single person here after a long day's work or after a long week already and, and just all the things that they could be doing right now and yet they're here, they're watching, they're, they will watch in the future, Lord. I ask you bless them that you would multiply their time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, last week we learned the definition of Jonah. And you guys remember the definition of Jonah's name? Dove, exactly. I love that, that phrase that we're going to be learning about in every single one of the minor prophets, the name defines not only who they are, but their ministry. Uh, last week, we learned that Jonah uh, wanted to go the opposite direction. In fact, I have a, a picture here that Jeff is going to bring up for you guys to see the immensity of the amount of travel that Jonah had to go through just to try and evade going to Nineveh, uh, to try and go in the opposite direction. Remember, he picked up a, a boat that he had to pay his ticket for, by the way. He had to pay the ticket from Joppa and go to Tarshish, all the way across the Mediterranean Ocean. 
And then, of course, at the end of this, we're going to find out that Jonah is being spit up or vomited out somewhere north of Sidon there, somewhere north of Israel. And he's going to have to walk 300 miles to Nineveh because Nineveh is not or does not have a seaport. It is landlocked. Now imagine this, especially after he's been in the belly of this great fish, this whale, what it is like. How hard does God work to get the heart of the prophet? Does he have to deal with a lot of things? First, he's on a boat going the opposite direction, and now the sailors throw him into the ocean, and what just happens to pick him up? Big, huge fish, right? A, a whale. We found out last week. In fact, uh, last week we found out that not only uh, are whales mammals, which means that Jonah will have uh, air within this fish, but also sperm whales or even uh, whale sharks have the ability to swallow very, very large objects, including whole horses and even 15-foot sharks themselves. And Jonah, now being in this whale, what is he doing? He's crying out to God. In fact, this uh, poem or hymn or, or this thing that he's composing in this whale has to be done in the dark. Does he have a pen and paper with him? Obviously not, right? Unless he's, you know, doing it on the innards, right? Uh, I, and, and I, I had this amazing pastor a long time ago. It was in uh, Altaloma, Rancho Cucamonga area. And he taught us a song when we were in vacation Bible school back, way back then. And, and it was about Jonah. And the second verse was one of those verses that I always loved. It, he, he used to sing it this way, uh, Jonah play, kick a play, kick a play on Willie's tum-tum. Jonah play, kick a play, kick a play on Willie's tum-tum. Jonah play, kick a play, kick a play on Willie's tum-tum till he spit him out. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I love that. It just sticks. I, I remember I was like 10 years old uh, when I learned that. And it, it's just amazing how it sticks. What did Jonah only could do in the belly of the whale. Could he determine the direction of the whale? Could, could he somehow, you know, do something to keep his mind off of just being in the belly of the whale? Was there something he could do? Could he play his Wii or his whatever he could do? His iPhone or whatever. Could, could he do anything in the belly of the whale other than cry out to God. Does God put us in those positions in our lives at times where all we can do is cry? And sometimes it's in the stinkiest of places too. And last week we, we learned how stinky it was in the belly of that. Well, if you can imagine a fish market to the infinity, what would it be like? And by the way, sitting in, you know, this acid, this slow dissolving acid in the belly. It wasn't a party like you see on VeggieTales, right? You know, with a choir and all those kind of things, right? I love how it starts there in verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to Yahweh's God from the stomach of the fish. 
the person he's crying out to, and the place he's in. Total contrast, by the way. You, you would never thinking of going to church in the belly of a fish. You would never think of, uh, of going to a, a place where it stinks horrendously and worship God. Yet that's where Jonah's at. Jonah is the epitome of what it means to run from the presence of God or the will of God. And God taking fully control of his life, making sure that he goes to the place that God has designed him to go to. Verse 2, he said, I called out in my distress to Yahweh. He answered me. I cried for help from the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. This uh, prayer, by the way, is a compilation of a whole bunch of psalms. And, and Jonah, being Jewish, uh, raised up from birth as a, a Jewish person who, who knew uh, the Psalms, who knew uh, the Old Testament, at least up to the point where he is himself composing the same Psalm. He's taking all these uh, amazing Psalms from his history, from his nationality, and he, he's combining a lot of them. In fact, if you look at it, there's quite a few of the Psalms in this Psalm here, or in this poem here, this hymn here. Psalms 3 is quoted, Psalms 18 is quoted, Psalm 31, 42, 69, and 77 are all quoted in these few 10 verses. And there's others as well, mostly minor uh, compilations, but it's amazing how Jonah recites these prayers, these psalms from his own uh, life's history. We've been going through the Legacy Standard Bible, and I love how it translates uh, the, the name of God into Yahweh, the, the name of God, so we don't have to kind of, you know, figure it out ourselves. And if you, you notice how many times the name of God is repeated, and you can see it fairly easily when you, when you go through a translation uh, like this, and, and just the way the name of God pops out of the page. When you're in distress, who do you cry out to? When you're at your lowest point, who do you cry out to? Not, not just, you know, uh, an ethereal voice out there or, you know, some, you know, myth or, or some, you know, thing that, that, you know, you're very vague on understanding who it is. But the personal nature of who God is Jonah crying out his name, Yahweh, I am that I am. The name that was given to the Jewish uh, people. Verse 3, you can really, you know, really understand the depths of what he's going through. You, you actually visualize it through the eyes of Jonah. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The current surrounded me, all your breakers and waves, they passed over me. So I said, I've been driven from your presence, and nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to my very soul. The great deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Do you see the picture? 
even to the very detail of those seaweeds wrapping around Jonah as he's sinking down into the very depth. And who swallows it? And it has to be an animal, by the way, without teeth. It has to be an animal that consumes its food whole, of course. God protecting Jonah. It wasn't some shark with ten rows of teeth, right? No, it was something that was big enough to be able to swallow Jonah whole and then provide shelter for him for three days as it brought him back to land. Isn't that amazing? The, the detail work of the power of God in bringing back his wayward child, the prophet, to a nation that he wanted that same racist man to preach to. And remember, we learned last week, and we'll see it again tonight, that Jonah truly despised and hated the Ninevites. He wasn't a coward. He wasn't running because he was scared for his own life. The reason why he was running was because he didn't want them to hear the good news. He didn't want them to hear the word of God. Verse 6, I went down to the base of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Yahweh my God. While my soul was fainting within me, I remembered Yahweh and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. No matter where you are, as long as you're crying out to God, where are you? In his temple, in his presence. Who lives in your heart right now? You are a temple of the holy God. Jonah understands that. He's crying out. Verses 8 and 9 close out this amazing psalm. Those who regard worthless idols forsake your loving kindness. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. This last phrase hits home so well. What does it mean when Jonah is crying out, I'm going to repay my vows to Yeshua Yahweh? To, to the one that we know, even in the Old Testament, salvation being the defining factor of the Messiah, Yeshua, the one for which Jesus himself in the Greek is named. Salvation. What, what does that mean? You see, when a prophet would make a vow to the Lord, they were required to keep it, whether it was Ezekiel being told, go and be a watchman to the people of Israel. And if you do not tell them, their blood is going to be on your head. But if you do tell them and they don't repent, then their blood will be upon their own head. This is what Jonah is referring to. Did Jonah run away from his vows? Yes, he did. And how long did it take God to reach out to Jonah? How much? Did Jonah have to do in order to come back? Do you love grace so much? This is what grace is right here. Jonah defines grace because it's not even dependent upon the prophet because the prophet had a bad attitude. The prophet didn't want to go. The prophet didn't want to keep his vows. 
but Yeshua, Yahweh, salvation belongs to the Lord. Who is in charge of salvation? Who's in charge of salvation? God, yeah. It's amazing. Salvation belongs to uh, Yahweh. Even uh, Jesus described this event, and of course, this is why we know it's one of those uh, uh, facts. It's a, a true historical fact that actually took place in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, describing Jonah's ordeal in this whale and then comparing it to himself. Uh, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, uh, Yahweh come in the flesh, even. Emmanuel. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered and said to him, Teacher, we want a sign from you. And he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation eagerly seek for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Did, did Jesus see Jonah as a historical prophet, as a, as a real person swallowed by a real animal? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Those, those Ninevites, that were, you know, as we'll find out, were some of the most vilest people on the planet. They repented, and the Israelites did not. But by the way, Jonah being a prophet, did he know what would happen when he would get there? Did he know? Did, did he know the depths of the love of God for the Ninevite? Yes, he did. But did he want them to hear the message? No. Sometimes we can have that same attitude, unfortunately, right? It goes beyond cowardice or laziness, and we just don't want to do it. I, I, I want them to go to. I, I, I want them to be. We, we would never admit this, but I, I want them to be separated from God for eternity. This is what Jonah, his heart. But who, who supersedes the heart of the prophet? God does. And Yahweh spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Creation miraculously in existence right there. A creation right there being controlled by God. The, the whale obeying God when the prophet did not want to. We, we, we know who controls the sun and the moon, right? It, God just didn't wind up the earth and the universe and, and then just let it go. Who controls every single aspect of every single atom, including the rising of the sun? And it's going down. It's God, and he's in control of this amazing uh, fish that vomits. And by the way, the, the, the wording here is, is very, very graphic, you know. 
uh, how much vomit does a fish vomit or a, a whale or a huge sea monster vomit up? Can you imagine the amount? This isn't just a toilet bowl full or sink full or whatever, right? This is a massive amount. And then, you know, imagine this and, you know, you understand what happens when you, you know, uh, vomit, when you throw up. It's not just the food that comes up, right? It's the acid and the bile and all that other stuff that comes that the the you know the horrendous smell that comes up when you throw up now imagine this being in the belly of a whale for three days being slowly consumed by the digestive you know juices in the stomach of this whale what happens now to jonah's skin he's bleached He's bleached, right? The smell is in not only his skin, his hair, his clothes, if there's, you know, I don't know how much of clothes are left. But but can you imagine this guy now walking, having to walk to Nineveh, compelled by God to preach to the Ninevites, fulfilling his vow as he prayed in the belly of the fish, belly of the well. And, and and when he gets to Nineveh, as we're going to find out, it's not just the message, it's the prophet as well. What does he look like and what does he smell like? Fish. Stinky fish. This landlocked uh, nation, this landlocked capital. By the way, the Ninevites at this time, they were considered the most uh, vile of, of people. They were you know, known for the, not only their treachery, but also their cruelty, uh, who they were in terms of their very being. They're going to become uh, the Babylonians who Jonah, being a prophet of God, also knows will be used by God to judge the southern kingdom of Judah. Being, being a prophet of God can see the future understanding that they're going to repent and Judah is not, Israel is not, and God's going to use them to judge them, judge the Judeans. Chapter 3 of Jonah continues on. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out to it this very call, which I am going to speak to you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of Yahweh. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. How big is this massive city? Now, most commentators, you know, they, they describe the various sizes anywhere from two miles to ten miles in terms of uh, the circumference of the city, the, the, the wet width and the, the depth of this city. Uh, but the interesting thing is he doesn't even get to the second or the third day. He only gets to day one. And he only says... Eight words in English, five words in Hebrew. That's it. Not, not, not only is he this bleached guy, this prophet, this Judean who's coming all the way from the ocean being vomited up by a whale, but he's delivering this message of doom. What does he say there in verse 4? Then Jonah began to go into the city one day's walk. And he called out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
depending upon your translation, it's seven or eight words. In the Hebrew, it's just these five words, Oda Arborin Yo. That's it. Five words in Hebrew. And he says these words, and what happens to every single person in Nineveh? They repent. Is God's grace truly amazing? You see, God in his grace and mercy saved the most vile of nations in the known world at this time with the shortest sermon recorded. Isn't that amazing? Love it. Don't need to be eloquent. Don't need to have a lot of prep time. All, all you have to do is obey God, right? Now, of course, Nineveh is being prepared by God. They're ripe for the harvest. As Jesus says in the New Testament, in verse 5, it says, And the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his mantle from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ash. A nation saved in a day. Is God's grace truly amazing? Yeah. Amazing grace. How sweet this saved a wretch like me. You understand what the king is doing here, the, the humbleness of the king, what, what it means to see this foreigner come in, uh, bleached from the, you know, the acids from the, the, the whale, the fish, uh, smelling like fish, what it means when he receives that message. Do, do you understand a, a, a society that is being used in such a horrific way to destroy others, and now they hear mercy and grace for the first time. What does that do? It rocks you to the core. The king, I don't know what his exact thoughts. The Bible doesn't tell us his exact thoughts, but we see his understanding in terms of someone taking the time to come such a great distance to warn them of doom. And to tell them how to overcome that, to repent, to change from their ways. And what does the king do? He gets down off of his throne, lays aside his, his mantle or his crown. He covers himself in sackcloth. He sits on the ashes. And then he talks more than Jonah did, by the way. Verse 7, he cried out and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let man, animals, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat. Do not let them drink water. But both men and animal must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God with their strength. And with each may turn from his evil way and from the violence which is in his hand. Is this real repentance? Not, not just an outward showing, not just, you know, putting on sackcloth, sitting in some ashes, you know, throwing them up in the air or whatever, mo crying or moaning. What, what is he actually saying? We need to do this right. 
We need to turn from our wicked, violent ways. Or within 40 days, we will be destroyed. And who's the example? It's the king. He's crying this out. He's telling his nation of, so we're going to find out 120,000 people, more than 120,000 uh, people to change their ways. Verse 9, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn away from his burning anger so that we will not perish. I don't know what your salvation experience was like. I don't know what your testimony uh, is like. We got to hear Tom Bergeron's testimony on, on Monday night. I, 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 I was, you know, wanting to phone in, you know, do a phone in type thing, you know. Uh, you know, pick up the phone, call Kevin, and say you're you're on tonight. You know, uh, but but Monday we were we we were up in Auburn actually, and and I you know, you know, talking with my wife. You know, we're gonna just rush through. You know, get leave at twelve. Hopefully, get there in time. You know, hopefully there's no traffic. All those kind of things, and and, and it's one of those things when you really um, uh, allow the Lord to work. Uh, allow the Lord to schedule your time, I guess you could say. And, and then to arrive and, and, you know, just five minutes before, you know, Monday night service with all these guys. That, and, and then, you know, there's 33 guys there and they're, they're listening intently to Tom Bergeron and your life is just impacted through the testimony of a person whose life has been changed. Uh, our, our testimony is powerful. Our salvation experience is powerful. Do you know how powerful they are? They're, they're even able to confront Satan himself. The men have been learning, you know, not only through the, the blood of the Lamb, but the power of our testimony. We defeat Satan himself. Satan has no power in a testimony. Who is the only one that has power in a test? God. Jesus Christ. Yeshua, salvation. This is exactly what the king is crying out. Verse 10. This, by, by the way, this is where we started last week, you know, with this amazing proclamation, with the ending of the story, the, the celebration that is taking place in Nineveh. Every single person there is saved. And there's a party except for one person. Everybody's happy except for one person. There's only one that doesn't want this to happen. It's the prophet. Here we get to see his heart. But in verse 10, we get to see God's heart. God's heart always trumps our hearts. Thank God for that. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways. So God relented concerning uh, the evil which he had spoken he would bring upon them, and he did not bring it upon them. Is God's grace and mercy amazing, awesome? By, by the way, what happens when one sinner repents in heaven? The angels are happy. How many angels are happy when 120,000 souls are saved? Do you, do you, can you picture the, the party in heaven? Except for who? 
the one that's throwing the tantrum on the hill. We we have no idea. The, we're, we're, we'll talk about it at the end, yeah. It, it just leaves it open. It leaves it open. It now puts the, you know, the burden or the privilege on us, right? Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But this was a great evil to Jonah, and he became angry. I love the way the New American Standard puts it. But but he became greatly displeased, Jonah, and, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, uh, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to prevent this, I fled to Tarshish. You see the hearts of Jonah willing to even prevent them from hearing the word of God by going in the opposite direction and then telling God about it. See, God, I told you they would repent. I told you they would do that, right? We would never do that, right? We'd never do that. But by the way, I mean, this is just one of those things that, you know, defines who we are in terms of our attitudes towards other people. Does God know our heart? Even before he asks us to do something. Does God know our heart? That that person that, you know, and, you know, I, you know, we all do it. We all just zoom by, you know, unfortunately, people that might be on the side of the road or whatever, our, our schedules are more important than their schedules or whatever. But, but what does it mean when you take the time to obey God? When, when the burden that he gives to you, just like he did to every single one of the minor prophets, that burden that he gives to you, and he asks you to do it. Is the burden a blessing? And, and by the way, when we don't do or fulfill the burden, he gives it to someone else. And if they obey, who gets the blessing? Someone else. God's will is going to be done. God's grace is going to be fulfilled. God's grace is going to still reach out. He wants to use you. He wants to bless you. But if we don't obey, God puts a burden on someone else. Blesses them. You see, jo Jonah hated the people of Nineveh so much, he was willing to risk his own life in order to prevent them from hearing the word of God. How... how Racist is that, and you know, of course, uh, the Jewish people as a whole—they, you know, they were the chosen people of God. They were the ones that, you know, um, of, you know, received the name of God, received the commandments of God, received the teachings of God, had the temple of God in their midst. They knew they were privileged, and many times they kept it to themselves. These, you know, and, and I, I love the way that the Lord uh, works in this. But was it ever meant to be that way? What was the blessings of Abraham supposed to do? Were they just supposed to be kept to him and his generations after him? No, he was supposed to be a blessing to the nation, the Gentiles, the non 
uh, Jewish people. Thank God for that. And by the way, again, we learned this last week also, Obadiah, Jonah, and Nahum are all written to non-Jewish people, Gentiles, right? Three whole books in the Bible written to other people other than Jewish people. Remember what Jonah's name defined as? What does his name mean? Dove. Okay, keep that in mind. Verse 3. So now, Yahweh, please take my life from me, for death is better than to me than life. Second time. Second time. The first verse, he'd rather drown than go to Nineveh. And now, after they're all repenting, partying, having this great party, praising God, what does Jonah want to do? Rather die than watch them have fun. Rather die than see them be blessed. I'd rather die than see them repent. And God's amazing. God, God's always amazing how he reaches to the hardest of hearts. How he breaks through the hard heart and the stiff neck of the prophet, by the way. And Yahweh said, do you have good reason to be angry? Have you ever been asked that by God? Has the Holy Spirit ever pricked your heart saying, you have no reason to be angry? It didn't go my way, God. It didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. That Holy Spirit's prick, that Holy Spirit's nudging in our own heart saying, I love them too. I love them too. My love is big enough for everybody, right? For God so loved them. By the way, he's going to say this multiple times to Jonah. God is still going to be patient with the prophet, by the way. God is going to not only in, a, in an amazing way, you know, show Jonah his heart, but also the heart of Jonah as well in a very creative way. In, in, in a way that that speaks to the you know the the racism the you know the prejudice in Jonah's heart toward a people that he didn't want to have repent to hear the good news to hear the message of God. Verse five. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of the city, and and there he made a booth for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to or in the city. Okay, so he's on a hill looking into the city, and what is he hoping God's going to do? Despite the fact that he knows what God's going to do, what he's hoping God will do. Waiting for that fire and brimstone to come down, God. Waiting, waiting for you to destroy the city. And, of course, he, he puts this, you know, in a, a booth or a little tent, if you will, uh, you know, uh, some leaves or some branches and, and, and making this thing. So he himself is sheltered from the sun as he's waiting for the 40th day to come. God gave them 40 days. Maybe some of them didn't repent. Maybe some of them didn't do it. Is God gracious to the prophet? The, 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 the stiff-necked, hard-hearted, racist prophet, is God still gracious to him? 
And he's, he's still gracious to us. I know none of us would ever do this. None of us would ever say this to God. So Yahweh God appointed a plant that came up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his miserable evil. And Jonah was extremely glad about the plant. God can be very, very sarcastic at times. God, God can be, you know, extremely creative in the way he breaks through us, our prejudices. Who or what did Jonah love more than 120,000 people that were in need of the grace of God? Plant. As his jealous heart is up there, you know, literally baking up there on that hill, waiting for the brimstone to fall. And what does God do for him? Shades him. Now, he, he does something else. He's, he, again, God is very creative. You know, he, he's going to show us our hard hearts as well. But, but the question is, and, and the privilege that we're going to have tonight is communion. What does communion mean? It means to, you know, have fellowship with God, commune with God. What Jesus did there in the, what we call the Last Supper. But should we ever keep that to ourselves? Should we ever keep that to ourselves? No. Does God want an invitation? for others to join for others to come to the same place as as we are humble hearts you know just needing uh, the sacrifice of jesus christ so he uses this amazing illustration jonah's finally happy this is the first time he's happy in the whole book by the way he's extremely happy he's been miserable the whole time okay and now he's happy because something finally is going his way. A plant just miraculously springs up, you know, grows up in a single day and shades him up. Okay? So he's extremely happy. Verse 8, then it happened, or excuse me, verse 7, but God appointed a worm at the breaking of dawn. The next day it struck the plant and it dried up. And it happened that as the sun rose up, God appointed a scorching east wind. By the way, every single one of these is appointed by God. The plant, the worm, and the wind. A scorching east wind, and the sun struck down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and asked with all his soul to die. This is the third time, by the way. Third time. Death is better to me than life. Why does God choose people like this? To be his prophets? Why does God choose us to be his witnesses? Does God use fallible people to reach out to fallible people? Does God, you know, use us, sinners saved by grace, to reach out to sinners? God use human beings that are flawed to reach out to other human beings that are faulty. By the way, thank God he does. Thank God he does. He used 12 rejects to light a revival, right? 
He used a person that was, you know, uh, that denied him three times to preach one of the greatest sermons in the book of Acts. In fact, the very first sermon was preached by a denier of Jesus Christ, whom God brought back. Peter, right? God uses Jonah. He gives this amazing illustration. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, "Uh, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Okay. First, he asked, do you have good reason to be angry? And now, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? You didn't do anything to that plant. You, You didn't plant the seed. You didn't cultivate the ground. You didn't fertilize the plant. You didn't do anything to that plant. And you're angry that it's not there. It's just like it was when it was not there. What does he say? I have good reason to be angry even to death. See, all of us at times want to tell God what to do. And if he doesn't or, or we don't get our way, we go, go to some extreme consequence, right? You know, we go some extreme thing. Oh, I'll just quit. I'll just quit, God, right? Just kill me. I'll go to someplace else. We go to some extreme consequence. Thank God that we don't do that. I mean, most of us are too cowardly to do it, you know. But to go to some extreme consequence. Thank God for his patience with us. Verses 10 and 11 ends like this. By the way, just like what Rich was was, uh, bringing out, uh, this... The story of Jonah doesn't have a nice bow tied to it. The story of Jonah leaves it in our court, our lap, our lives now. Because what does he say? And this is the heart of God. Then Yahweh said, you had pity on a plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up to be overnight and perished overnight so should i not have pity on nineveh that great city in which there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left as well as many animals does god truly love the world Does he love every single nationality, every single skin tone? Does God love every single race and creed? Does God love the people of this world? This is what communion means. This is what we get to celebrate tonight. So as I ask the the men to come forward, the worship team to come up the question is in our own uh, thoughts tonight well what is the application whose mind should we have we definitely shouldn't have jonah's mind okay that's the obvious answer okay don't have jonah's mind okay but but whose mind should we have Jesus' mind. By the way, it goes back to that amazing phrase that we read earlier today, salvation.
belongs to Yahweh. Yeshua Yahweh. Who came to the earth to die for us? See, it wasn't just in the Old Testament that they had, you know, horrific thoughts, but even in the New Testament, and in fact, we've been doing this every single time that we've been in the uh, first Wednesday in the minor prophets, we've been, rather than going through the book of Matthew for communion, we've been going through the, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And, and in verse 27, it says this, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must test himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, and if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And aren't you glad for that? And the invitation there, and the invitation to us tonight, and as the men uh, pass out the elements, I ask you to just keep them. Really, really think on this. Is there anything in your heart right now that, that's preventing you, maybe a barrier between you and the Lord that you need to repent of right now? And you can do it right now. Maybe there's that attitude in your heart like Jonah had or an attitude in your heart towards someone. Lord, I, Lord, I, Lord, take that attitude away from me. Change my heart. Break down those walls. Give me a pliable heart that loves you completely. The invitation verse. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. <laughs> Communion's corporate. We get to take it together. We get to enjoy communion together. 